Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue, um, where every week we gather for nuanced conversation about the scriptures and about what's going on in the world. My name is Christopher Vaughn. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Avenue, and I'm joined today by Pastor Laura Bird and our modern pastoral intern, Carol Petritus. Um, and today we are going to start off by jumping straight into the scripture. It comes from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, um, and it is in the middle of, or the um, slight beginning, really, middle is a uh, probably a misnomer, uh, but it is in the middle beginning, we'll say it that way, <laughs> of the Sermon on the Mount, and one of those five great discourses that Jesus offers in the midst of that, um, and it comes right after the Beatitudes. So Carol, will you read our scripture this morning? Yeah, this is out of uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're starting in verse 13, going through verse 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Thank you, Carol. Um, so this comes immediately after the Beatitudes, right? Um, and it is a, a connecting piece between what has just been said and what is about to be said. And yet it has some um, imagery in it that might be confusing, right? What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? What does it mean to be the light of the world? What does that look like? Um, and earlier in the service, Laura, you already said, you know, well, what really is salt? What was it for? What's the purpose of it? So... Um, what do we use salt for? I guess that's, that's an interesting way to start uh, a conversation this morning. What's the purpose of salt? Well, if you're Charlotte Jane Petritus, which is my four-year-old daughter who is in preschool here at Rainbow Corner, salt is used in your lunch kit to put on uh, green beans. So I, I send her with those little um, cups of green beans, and I have to send her with a salt packet or else, according to her, they aren't edible. So... Salt makes food edible. Yeah. yeah. Well, the fact that you can get your four-year-old to eat green beans in a school lunch is, that's an odd flex, but okay. I know, but <laughs> salt is the reason. I'm saying she will eat it with the salt. If I forget to put the salt packet in, those green beans will be still in that little cup. So, right. so flavor enhancer. <laughs> that's right. Flavor enhancer for sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's so many uses. I think that's a, a great one though. Um, that it's kind of um, enhances the basic necessities we have of life. It's like the the core vitality of the soul within us. Um, I was reading about in uh, the Hebrew scriptures that they even made covenants with salt, which I did not know. I thought that was really cool. Um, salt is really seen as kind of this basic property um, that can be used in ritual observances. Um, it's Salt is used in pagan ritual observances as well. Um, and, and it's because it's this kind of like seen as this base thing of life that gives it vitality and flavor. And, um, but it's also a, a, a preserving agent, which I think is a, a big part of what Jesus is pointing to as well. Yeah, I mean, and we all are made up of salt. 
mm-hmm. right? We, salt is like a, a we're salty. Thing. Yes, um, and I as I was um, uh, you know doing research this week as well, I came across uh, it's a it's an older video, but it's of a 14 year old boy. He's running cross country, and in the video, as you as you watch it, you watch this female deer start coming along behind him. And he looks over and he realizes the deer's behind him. So he starts running faster. The deer starts running faster. So he starts running faster. And the deer starts running faster. And I don't know if you know this, we're not as fast as deer. And so eventually he just crouches down because he doesn't know what to do. And the deer comes up and puts its foreleg on his shoulder and begins to lick the back of his neck. Okay. And all of the, um, you know, Wildlife scientists, and they said the deer was probably deprived of salt and could smell the salt deposits from the cross-country runners. Sweat. Sweat. Yeah. And so came to to lick the sweat off, and eventually people came and shoot it away. But it is that reminder that not only is salt a necessity, right? We typically think of it as a flavor enhancer because we can find salt in abundance. Um, But it is also something that is sought after in the animal community. Um, there are several states in Montana and other places that have the name Lick in their town names, right? And it's because they're the different animals that come to, to those salt deposits that are found there, mm. um, you know, moose and deer and other places because they are seeking after the necessity mm. of salt. Mm. And so when Jesus says, right, you are the salt of the earth, he is reminding this budding Christian community that you find in Matthew that they are a necessary part of sharing in the grace of God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the people who I am building the church around, and you are the ones who people are going to be drawn to for the necessities of grace, of comfort, and of knowledge after I am gone. Right. So you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. So there's that juxtaposition that is playing out in Scripture there as well. Mm-hmm. All right. But we're also the light of the world. All right? So we, if salt is a necessity, why do we think Jesus is talking about light in the Scriptures as well? Well, I mean, it's hard to do things if you don't have light. Um, <laughs> if everything is, is dark, you are you're stumbling around. And I think um, the way that I read it is um, without the light that we as Christians can bring to the world, then there's a, a lot of stumbling that goes on. And it's really hard to get things done because we need each other. We need these people that are willing to come and um, be be helpful, be um, loving, be kind, be thoughtful, support one another, um, follow the teachings of Jesus, support the marginalized, um, work for justice in our world. Um, I think those are all things that people that bring light do. And again, in a dark space, it's not much that can be done. Hmm. Yeah, I am, you know, going back to our, our prayer practice, I think learning to be light in the world so that um, light is where you see everything else, right? Um, if you want people to see God in the world, if you want people to see Christ in the world, you have to work on your own spirit nature embodying that Christ-like nature. So some of those spiritual um, 
spiritual gifts, spiritual practices, um, qualities that you can practice, like courage, perseverance, um, I keep going to those, I don't know why, (laughs) Um, strength, patience, humility, um, those are the way that people can see Christ in the world. Mm -hmm. And so we have to keep you know, working and practicing those to be the nature of Christ in the world. And, and people will see your nature, see the light of Christ. Yeah, it's that calling to sanctification, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I like the way that you've talked about it, of, of like, this is our calling. We, we think of the word saint now, and we go, oh, well, that's just a very pious, like, holy person. That's beyond most of us. And yet Paul addresses most of his letters to the saints at... Right, fill in the blank of a church, right? To the saints at Corinth, to the saints at um, Galatia, where, wherever it is, right? To the saints of. And then proceeds to tell them how they're being unsaintly, <laughs> right? And so sainthood is not a, you know, we, we use that definition of, of piousness or you're just holier than thou. Sainthood is an aspirational thing that we should be seeking towards. And when we are trying to be, as you said, more like Christ, embodying Christ in the world, then we are saints. We are moving in a direction towards the building of the kingdom. Yeah. And so I, I, I like that juxtaposition of, you know, because um, I, I feel that way a lot, right, when you, when you read the words of Paul, because Paul's like, to the saints addressed that, and then you're like, but they're not very saintly. <laughs> right? And Paul's like, I know. That's why I wrote the letter. <laughs> um, and I, I always wonder, right, what the letter I would get from Paul would be like, because we know we'd all be getting Ooh. a letter. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things where it's that, that calling and then also that reminder that just because we aren't perfect— doesn't mean we can't do the work. I think too often we we think of like uh, duality, right? I've got to be either absolutely good all of the time, or then I have fallen so far that God's not going to want me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way that it works, right? Truly, truly. I, I always think of um, a tree as an example of God's um, perfect imperfection, right? A tree is not um, completely symmetrical. It's not you know, perfectly made out of plastic. It's this growing creation that maybe there's a branch sticking out over here. It's, it's, it's its own, just very unique creation from God that, that gives life to humans and animals. Um, we're the same way. We are perfectly imperfect. And that is the way we were made. Um, we were not made to be perfect. We we're made to become perfect. (laughs) And it's then that becoming that is where the light is seen. And I think if I like to just sometimes be like, remind myself that I'm just like a tree, like I'm, I'm going to have some splayed out branches and, and yet it's, it's holy and beautiful, even in in its imperfection. And I wouldn't want it any other way, honestly. Well, it's, uh, the tree metaphor is interesting too, right? Because really what, what Jesus is inviting us to in the Beatitudes and others is to sink our roots deeply Mm -hmm. into the things of God. Mm -hmm. And if a tree has shallow roots, right? I've got a lot of family in Louisiana. Um, Pine trees have very shallow roots. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is as soon as there is a a storm, a hurricane or whatever, you can drive through where that area was and the trees are all down because pine trees grow fast, but they have shallow roots, Mm -hmm. right? They look like they have a lot of depth to them because of how high they grow to the sky. And yet because the roots are shallow, because they are not rooted, 
they fall over. Hmm. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things where, you, you know, you could take that metaphor and expand upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what Jesus is calling us into, is deep roots into the things of God. Mm-hmm. But then allow us into um, doing what it is we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Right, and if we're perfect, if we were born perfect, we couldn't grow. How, how are we going to grow? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the becoming that is what God has called us to. Right. Yeah, and I'm thinking about with the tree and the shallow roots. I'm thinking, you know, the deeper that your roots are, you know, the, deep, the more that you are rooted in Scripture and you're rooted in trying to follow the example of Jesus, the more naturally mm-hmm. some of those things grow yes, out of you and absolutely. flow out of you. I agree. And I think that that is one way that you can be like, because love just will naturally flow out of you mm-hmm. when you're trying to live that life yes. focused on following Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's what Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is giving instruction for. Right? It's, it's almost that question of what is your first response? Because I think the, the scripture reading today implies two fundamental questions. Who are we? Who are we as a community? And what are we to do? And Jesus answers that in the Sermon on the Mount. It starts with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it goes through. And then it, it comes to this thing of like, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And it's that reminder in the midst of everything that our first response should always be one of grace. Right? Because salt is an enhancer. Right? Nobody takes just a tablespoon of salt and eats it. Right? Um, at least I hope you don't. Right? <laughs> I was like, mm, uh, somebody probably does. <laughs> um, instead... We add it to things, right? Salt is meant to enhance a dish. It's meant to provide life and a nuance of flavor in the same way that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, it is our opportunity to seed the world with salt, with grace, with love, with compassion, with kindness, with caring. And yet our first response often isn't that, right? Our first response is often one of self-preservation, I think of all of the times in my own life where I have pulled up to a a stoplight or a stop sign and there is a homeless person there and I have no cash in my wallet. If I have cash in my wallet, it comes out. If I have no cash in my wallet, it's like, don't make eye contact, right? That's the first response. Don't look, don't see, just look forward. I have nothing for you. And yet, I could have a kind word. Mm-hmm. I could just check in on that person and make sure they're doing okay, right? But my first response, right, used to be that. Now I make a more concerted effort to have a conversation. But the, the first response that Jesus is calling us to is one of grace, right? And so we're like, well, well, how do we get there? How do we get to a response of grace? That's what we get in these scriptures. It's that reminder of how we are to live shifts our first response, Yeah, and I'm thinking about this like in our practical world when we are in our offices, for example, and someone makes a mistake or someone does something that we don't understand. I, I think that there's a real practical way to live this out, and it is exactly what Christopher's talking about, which is your first response 
is grace. So instead of it being like, oh, well, Joe did X, Y, Z because he just doesn't care. Well, you know, Joe may not have slept at all last night or Joe may be going through something that we don't know. And I think when we're offering that grace, not only in our work, but as neighbors, um, in, in our churches, in the social groups that we're in, at our gyms, wherever we are, then people are able to see something about us that is bright and that brings some light to their, their world, to their experience. And I think that's a real important takeaway, that first response being grace. So I got stuck because I'm thinking like, okay, who on the church staff is Carol calling Joe right now to protect the innocent? <laughs> so I got, got a little distracted I was trying getting, to figure out I was the... getting nervous because I didn't want to just pull out a name of anybody that I, I knew. I nearly said Jim, and I was like, oh, they're going to think Jim hecked. And I was like, okay, Joe, just random, just random, random Joe, Joe. Just random average Joe. Joe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think that's such a powerful metaphor because the the way that we respond to people in certain situations, whether it's in offices or in the classroom at school or uh, whether it is the way that we respond to people as they um, drive around us on the road um, in a positive or negative way, right? Um, it is that, that way in which we think about how we first respond. Because oftentimes our second response is much kinder, right? But that initial response typically comes out in a different way. And we can sometimes go back and be kinder, more thoughtful, more compassionate in retrospect. But sometimes that means we've, we've missed an opportunity um, to provide that grace, compassion, and kindness in different ways. So I, I like the way that you talked about that. Um, I think it's interesting the way that the author of Matthew utilizes the scriptures from Isaiah. Because in, in verses 14 to 16, um, Carol, that you read for us today, um, the writer is adapting an expression from Isaiah 42.6, right? You are the light of the world. And in Isaiah, it's describing the vocation of Israel and how God called Israel to be a light to all of the nations. Um, and it is to, um, for Matthew, meant for the, the people who are reading it, to know that they're supposed to model God's covenantal ways so that all people will then be blessed similarly um, to the Matthewan community, right? They're supposed to be a light to the first century community, and the church isn't supposed to be a light among humans even today, right? We're supposed to still be that light shining. And so I think verses 14 and 15 are, are meant to emphasize that the purpose of light is to illumine the days, right? And it's, we, we have an abundance of light, right? We have light specifically for certain things even in this space, right? Right now, we're using the stage lights, um, right? When, when we uh, get ready to leave, we'll turn on the house lights, right? We have lamp light in the back of the room. And similarly, we have all kinds of things that provide light in our homes. In fact, if we were to lose electricity, many of us have flashlights um, or we have um, battery-powered lamps. We <laughs> yeah, have phones. flashlights on our phones. Didn't even think about that one. <laughs> um, and so, like, we have an abundance of light. We don't think about light that often. And yet, in the in first century in Palestine, the average-sized home that we can see from archaeological digs or other things would have been able to be lit from the inside by one lamp. And so this, this example that's being used in Scripture, right, of, of, of a lamp on a hill 
would have been enough light to illumine the whole home. And so while we have this abundance of light, so much so that that metaphor sometimes I think gets lost for us that's being brought up in the scriptures, I I think it's powerful to think about the fact that simply one lamp lit an entire home and that that calling, that reminder that Jesus is giving to this budding community is your light is equally as important to the kingdom. God is calling you, God is seeking you, and God is wanting you, yes, to, to salt the world with grace, but also to be a shining beacon of light that people can point towards, to know what it is to live like Christ. Right? My, my favorite um, quote, probably of all time, um, which I've told is strange given that I am a preacher, right, is I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather see the messages of Christ lived out than hear somebody talk about them any day of the week. And I think that's what Jesus is reminding everybody in the Sermon on the Mount, right? With the Beatitudes, with a reminder to be salt, with a reminder to be light, it is this reminder of you've got to live this. You can't just read it. You can't just talk about it in your synagogues and, um, you know, hope for the best. Because we see the first response often of Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders is not always the best response or the most Christ-like response. Um, and so that's, it's this, this calling of, this is important. You are important. And this is why. You are the light of the world. All right. Any final thoughts? Any other things that people have rumbling around in their brains? I do have this one, this one thought, and it came up for me when you were mentioning, um, you know, looking forward when you're driving and you see a homeless person. Um, yesterday, I saw a homeless person just right here outside of Racetrack, and I was stopped at the light, and I noticed that there was a, a woman coming toward um, this man and had a bag that she had obviously purchased some items for him at racetrack. And I saw her go and, and give it to this man, and he opened it and started eating immediately. And I was just struck by that, by um, the kindness that this woman showed. His sign had mentioned that he was hungry. And I thought, ooh, that's an example of light. And it inspired me to next time. I thought, you know, that was really smart. She went in, she may not have had cash, but she went in and she, she bought the man something to eat. So it inspired me to next time I see a homeless person, if I'm near a place where I can buy food, I thought I'll do that next time. So I was just thinking about how you know, light causes light. And I was, I was thinking about, you know, on Christmas Eve when we're all um, sitting next to one another and we're passing that light, how a kind act can start a ripple and that your light can be noticed by others, just like I noticed this woman's. So I just, you know, want to encourage all of us to do those kind things, take advantage of those opportunities to show love because we never know who else is watching um, besides just the person that we're trying to show grace to. Well, I, I appreciate everybody's thoughts in the conversation today. Um, I, I'm, I'm left with that reminder of the, the calling that Jesus is giving us in this Sermon on the Mount, in, in this longest of his um, sermons to be a, um, a light to all the world and to be reminded that we are the salt of the earth. Both what is being sought after can be found in us 
and also our calling to spread that goodness, that grace, and that light into all of the dark places of the world. So as always, we want to continue the conversation. And so if you have thoughts or questions um, that have come up for you while we have been talking today, um, feel free to come and find us and talk to us after. Um, We'd love to continue that conversation. If you're watching online today and you have thoughts um, or questions about the scripture or anything that we've said, um, send us a message, send us an email. We'd love to continue to be in conversation with you. Thank you, everybody.